My prayer is that the past few weeks uh, for us as a church has moved something maybe inside of you like it has moved in me, as I have just become more and more aware of the complexity that is being followers of Jesus in a culture like we live in. Okay, uh, And so, before we get to this today, I want to make a few clarifying statements about the past few weeks, because I've had probably more feedback about things in this series than almost anything else that I've ever spoke, uh, as we're filled with questions about, I don't understand this, or what does this mean? So let me give just a couple of comments, or a couple of statements to kind of clarify some things. First, my intentions were never to make us feel guilty for living in the freedom and wealth that we have. In fact, we should not feel guilty for being born here. We should not feel guilty for having more financially than maybe other people around the world. I believe that to be an unhealthy thing when we feel guilt over things like that. We are blessed much more than others, okay? Where we live, what we have is truly a blessing. We won the lottery in a way just of where you were born. That's just a reality. And I know we have struggles and I know we have difficulty and I know we have all sorts of things, but just understand where we have been born in America is different than so much of the world and so much of history. But do not live with a guilty feeling over that. Second, we talked a whole lot about pride and humility. And just understand, pride is incredibly difficult to define. It's sneaky and it's hard to see. It's hard to see in ourselves, and there are different forms of pride. We can feel proud for something that our child accomplished, and that is a very, very different thing than, than living in such a way that constantly brings attention and glory on ourselves instead of God. Pride is complicated, and I do not have this figured out, and neither do you. And if you think you do, we're not going to go there, Okay. <laughs> I've had questions with pe from people that we talked about pride, and I don't have great answers to this question. Let's just be people who feel the tension, and it's okay to feel the tension, that we are, and we're just hyper aware of this. Third, much of what we have said in this series has been kind of these sweeping general statements, okay? But I fully understand that each of us, were very different. We have different situations and different pasts, different incomes, different families, different all of that type of stuff. I have probably, looking back, I have probably been too general with much of what we have talked about. And I apologize if I've made you feel like I've thrown all of us into the same basket. That has not been my intent. The purpose of this series is to make us think and for us to take difficult, pointed passages of Scripture that we oftentimes throw to the side and look at them and maybe admit to ourselves that these are a little more relevant to our situations than we may want to admit. That's what this is. Okay, so, um, and that sets us up for today. Today, we are not focusing on one core main passage of Scripture like we typically do, but we are going to take a number of passages and kind of create this beautiful outline. And so if you are someone who likes to take notes, this is going to be a dream for you, okay? If you are someone who stayed up way too late last night, you're going to struggle, and we're going to be okay. Uh, I have personally found for myself that learning to prayerfully ask myself the right questions when it comes to my spiritual life can be immensely helpful. So today, the main ideas of 
the message are going to be in the form of questions, questions that we can be asking ourselves as we respond to some of the most difficult passages in all of the Scripture. And I will just say this, this morning I got up and I had kind of finished this entire thing on Friday, and I just was re-looking at it and reworking it, and, it, and the message took like a turn I wasn't expecting this morning, okay, when I was just reading over it. And so I'm just going to say some of this is going to be harsh today. Some of this is good. When I ask some of these questions, you will feel uncomfortable. And that's okay, I think. So let's pray to start. Will you stand with me? Stand with me all over this place and let's just pray. We're, we're like looking at each other like I don't know what we've gotten ourselves into. It's my first time and I feel scared. Okay, well, that's okay. God, we just, we just kind of take a deep breath. We invite you into this moment right here. We pray that your heart would be just so central to everything that we say and everything we do, that you would be glorified in our midst, that this would not be about me standing on a stage sharing my ideas, but God, that your very word would come and challenge and change and bring life. And so, Lord, we just give this to you. Open our hearts and our ears and our minds and help us with this, God, as we have things, we have things in our thoughts that, that are not right, and we just don't always know where those are, God, and I pray that you would help us. So do that, in your name we pray, amen. All right, give somebody a high five and have a seat. <clears throat> Question number one. <laughs> Write this down if you're taking notes, uh, and, and I'm going to start by just saying this. Much of... Much of this conversation revolves around wealth, and we haven't directly talked about money very much in this series or giving or anything like that because what we are learning and what we've learned so clearly is that when the Bible talks about wealth, it is much more of a heart issue than it is actually about money. It is about our hearts, and so though the first couple questions here may have to do with money, understand the root of all of this is what's inside right here. Okay, and that's where we're going to start. So question number one, here's what we're asking ourselves. Does money or stuff have an unhealthy hold on my life? Does money or stuff have an unhealthy hold on my life? As we wrestle with the tension of being followers of Jesus in America, this is a question we must be continuing and continually asking ourselves, does it have an unhealthy hold on my life? And you know what? It, it may have yesterday and today it doesn't, but tomorrow it will again. Okay, it is, it is a, a question that must come up again and again. And we see this in the Bible. In fact, some of the most difficult and harsh things that Jesus say has to do with wealth and stuff in our hearts. Let me show you a couple of them just to kind of get us warmed up. Uh, Luke chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to a crowd of people. He says this, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, because life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. He's talking to this crowd of people. He tells them to watch out. In a way, he warns people as a whole, be on guard against this, fight against this is what that means. Like, And it would be good for us to read that and to take a moment 
and check our own hearts because we often throw scripture like this right out the window and we're quick to say, that's not me. I know somebody who needs to hear that, but that's not for me. I don't have greed in my life and all of that. But then Jesus tells a story. In fact, he makes up a story to prove a point right out of this. Here's verse 16. It says, and he told them this parable, the grounds of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. All right, that doesn't sound like a bad thing to me. He's, he's, he worked hard and made a bunch of money and now he's going to retire. Sounds like a good thing, right? Some of us are like, I, that's, that's my life right there. Build, okay? Uh, I have worked my life. Verse 20, here we go. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. We could spend hours trying to figure this out. Let's, let's just pretend like we didn't read that because I don't know what to do with that when it comes to my retirement account and all that type of stuff, okay? Seriously, this is a harsh pointed thing that should make us feel feel uneasy. I, I don't know what this means for us all the time. I don't know black and white what this means and what this is a heart thing and something in the heart of this man that Jesus is making up this story is not right. And Jesus flat out calls him a fool. The difficult thing for me is I just don't feel like my life is that much different than this guy or at least where my life is headed. And so this, this should make us feel a little bit uneasy with this. Again, wealth is not the issue. The issue is a man who built his own kingdom, expanded his own kingdom with very little thought to the kingdom of God. This was a heart problem. And on this journey, we should be checking and double-checking our hearts when it comes to greed and the hold that money and things can easily have on us as American people who are bombarded by millions of commercials all day long and the newest technology and the newest stuff. I have a pastor friend in the cities, works, at, uh, works in, an, in Apple Valley for a very large church, great friend of mine. We spend a lot of time together. They're in an area that is very wealthy, and their church shows it. You walk into it, and you're like, this place has money. They also are some of the most generous, generous church stuff that you could ever imagine. Uh, I think they gave $7.5 million away last year alone, okay, this church. But he was telling me about one particular couple from his church that approached him, and apparently this couple was extremely wealthy, financially well-off, and young, had more than they could ever dream of, and they're like not even 40 years old. Well, they approached my pastor friend, and they said, we would like you to be our spiritual financial advisor. And he's like, I don't even know what that is. 
And, and the guy said, I have financial advisors. In fact, I have multiple. They help me with investments and all of this type of stuff. And I, you know, I am very secure in the way that I handle all of this type of stuff. But we want you to be our spiritual version of that. We want you to see our books. We want you to see our accounts. We want you to see our income and our giving and the way we spend our money. And we give you permission to speak up. If you see things spiritually that are out of line when it comes to our finances. And I was listening to this pastor friend tell this and I thought to myself, like, I have never heard of that from anyone in the world. We have made our money in America such a private thing. Like, there's, there's a couple of things you just don't ask people, right? You don't look at a woman and say, how much do you weigh? You don't do that. That gets weird. Do you know what I'm talking about? Some of you guys needed to hear that and you should write that down. Okay. But for some reason, you also, it, it, you also just do not go to someone and say, how much money do you earn in our culture? Do you know that around the world, in places where they don't have a lot of money, that's just not even a thing. They don't understand that. But for us, like the more money that you have, the more we don't want to talk about how much we have. And we don't want to have conversations with the people around us, okay? Uh, the Bible warns again and again. Jesus once said this in Matthew 19, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now, that, that's harsh. That should make us feel a little uneasy inside. And we're so quick to say, that's not me, I'm not rich. Okay, question number two, just kind of piggybacking on, on this first question, let's ask this second one. If God said, give it all, would I be able to be obedient? That should make you feel a little weird inside with that. Like, let that sink in for a minute. It may seem like a weird question to ask, but it's relevant to what we read in the Bible in different times. Uh, the Bible tells a story of an interaction that Jesus has with this uh, the scripture calls him the rich young ruler, and many of, you, many of you know where I'm going with this story, but the story is in the Bible in more than one place. This wealthy young man comes to Jesus and just says, Jesus, what do I need to do to get into heaven? And uh, Jesus and this man have this brief conversation, and here's how the story ends for him. Matthew 19, verse 21, Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, Go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And the story says that this man turns and he walks away sad because he had many possessions in this world. And then Jesus, that is when Jesus says what we just talked about. It is hard for someone rich to enter the kingdom of God. One more quickly. This is actually what Jesus says a few verses after he tells the story about the man in the barn, and he's like, you fool, you've saved up a bunch of money, and now you're going to eat and drink and be merry and whatever else like this. And then Jesus says this. Uh, he says, sell your possessions. This is to the crowd of people. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will, that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moss destroy, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we see the connections of money and our heart in this way. Sell your possessions, give it all away, where your treasure is, your heart will be careful. Now, listen very carefully here. You should feel weird right now, as I do. 
But I am in no way saying that this is a universal command of Jesus for everyone who wants to be his follower. In fact, where this gets hard is that the Bible has all sorts of examples of wealthy people who were not asked to do that. People who had way more than they could ever imagine, way more than they ever needed. Wealth has never been the issue here. It has always been our hearts. The question that we're asking is not, are you going to sell all your stuff and give it away? That's not the question. The question is, if God asked you to, could you? That's the question we wrestle with in America That's the question that reveals a little bit of our heart. And it may not be a question that we can even answer in a moment like this. I would have all sorts of questions if that question was asked of me. And the answer would maybe depend on all of that. I get all of that. But here's why I believe we should ask this question. The people around the world who are in persecution and pain and poverty, many throughout history have like who have had very little, have given much of that. And the more stuff that we have, the more that we acquire, the more money in our bank accounts and the bigger our homes, the more difficult and complicated that question becomes. The more we have. Wow, that challenges me. I don't even know what to do with that, and that's okay. You're just kind of hearing me vomit all over you things that I'm struggling with. Question number three. Some of you are like, I don't know why he went there. That kind of got gross. Question number three, uh, straight from the scripture, taking the language that's in there, am I offering my life as an offering to God? Maybe a weird thing to say, but I take this question from something that Paul wrote towards the end of his life. He's writing a letter to a young man named Timothy. He's proud of Timothy. Uh, Timothy has kind of, Paul has mentored Timothy, and Timothy now is like leading this beautiful church in Ephesus in this city. And Paul writes him a letter, and at the end of this letter, he just writes this. He says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Paul paints a picture of his life and how life is really not about him. It's about God. It's about God's purpose, God's plan, God's glory. In fact, in other places, Paul just writes, everything you do, do it for the glory of God. Everything you do, let it be for the glory of God. Romans chapter 12, Paul writes in in another way. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, Offer your lives as a living sacrifice. Don't be like everybody else and conform to the pattern of the people around you. Your life should be different than that as you offer your body, okay, an offering. uh, In fact, Holy and pleasing to God is even Jewish sacrifice language that he has in here. It's bringing a sacrificial offering to God. And the condition of our hearts has everything to do with whether that offering, that sacrifice pleases God. Uh, Does that describe the way I think about my life as just an offering to God, a sacrifice for him? And 
uh, the, the Sunday school story of Jonah and the whale comes to mind. Maybe you've heard this before. This is way from the Old Testament, but it, it fits into this too. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Uh, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord, headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the ferry, he went aboard and sailed to Tarshish to flee from the Lord. God says, go, and Jonah says, no. says, no. Why does Jonah say no to what God is asking him to do? Well, his motivations were completely self-centered. I don't want to go there. I don't want to talk to those people. I don't agree with what God is saying here. I, 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 me, me, me. Like, am, am I at the place where I am open to whatever God asks? Am I at the place where I am saying, God, my life is about you. Anything that you want, anywhere you want, anything you ask. Isaiah chapter 6, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. God, it's about you. Whatever you want, whatever you think, whatever you would have for me, I will say yes to you. The, the question here that I'm asking is not, are you going to go to Africa to be a missionary? The question is like, if God asked you to go, would you? If God asked me to go, would I? And in the answers to some of those questions, we find heart things. Heart things. Is this about me? Is this whole church thing actually about me? Because we do that in America. We make this about us. And when my needs aren't met, we go somewhere else. And if, if the songs we sing aren't the, the kinds I like, I'm going to go somewhere else. <laughs> but seriously, we have such a self-centered view of church and of God here in America. And again, I'm throwing out these broad sweeping statements. I, don't, I shouldn't do that, and I don't mean to. But as a whole, things are different when we have so much. Is this about me or is it about God? Is it about my comfort, my safety, my stuff, and my family? Or is this about Jesus and his purpose and his mission and his glory? And all of this kind of leads us to the final question. We just kind of sums all of this up, and we're going to get... We're going to get kind of hard here in a second, okay? Question number four is, is God my priority? Is God my priority? All this stuff can be summed up in that way, in this one word, priority. Now, the word priority is an interesting word if you study it in history. And uh, this was fascinating when I read some of this stuff. The word priority first found its way into English, into the English language in the 14th century, very simple definition. Listen to the definition of the word priority. First in rank or of most importance. Okay? Do you hear that? So we're just going there. First in rank of most importance. Five or six hundred years later, after the 14th century, in the turn of the 20th century, the English language added a new word. We made it plural. We started saying the word priorities priorities, okay? Understand, the plural form of this word was not a word until the early 1900s. Now, let me tell you why. When you look at the definition of the word priority, 
which is first in rank and of most important. You cannot have more than one first in rank. The word priorities should not be there. It doesn't make sense. You cannot have more than one of most importance. When you take the very definition of the word, it cannot become plural. And and this is where things get very difficult in our conversation because in our culture, in our culture, we do not face moments where we have to choose. At least in the same way, we do not face moments where we have to say, am I willing to serve Jesus even if it costs me my life? Am I willing to serve Jesus even if it means difficulty and pain for my family? Or if it means getting kicked out of my family? This is a reality for much of our world. I can tell you stories and stories and examples. Let me give you one quickly. I was reading this week about a young woman in China about 50 years ago. China was a horrendous place. It's it's still a very, very difficult place, but a horrendic, horrendous place to be a Christian of 50, 60, 70 years ago. This young woman had two little children, and her husband passed away. She was left a widow. God supernaturally showed up to her. It was this incredible thing, changed her life forever. Her and her little children, one was nine and one was now 11, she began to tell everyone that she knew what God had done for her as she became aware of this and it freed her from so many horrible things. The authorities began to hear what she was doing and they show up, they arrest her in a church service, drag her out of there, away from her children, leave her children to whatever. They put her in prison. A year later, she was a model prisoner. She was kind. She was gentle. She was an incredible person. A year later, they bring her in and the authorities gather around her and they say, you have been special. We want better for you. This is not fair. They had actually brought brought her kids. It was the first time she saw her kids in a year and they showed up at this prison and the woman there giving her kids a hug and all this type of stuff. And they say, we tell you what, you need to be home with your kids. Just, just, Just quit all this stuff. And you can go home with them. Just, just if you right now sign a statement saying that I will, not, I will not talk about this and I will not serve Jesus, then we will let you go right now. And this, to skip a whole bunch of the story, she did not see her kids for 35 years. The cost, the decisions, and I'm not here to, to argue whether or not that was the right decision or whether or not that, like, okay, that's, that's complicated. We do not face those types. Many Christians around the world must choose for themselves a priority. This is true now in many difficult places. It was true for the first century Christians that we read about in the Bible. It was true for many Christians throughout history. But our wealth and our safety and our freedom blurs all of that. And so I begin to ask myself, These questions, even this morning, if someone were to take a deep look at my life, what would they say is the priority? If they they looked at how I spent my time, 
What conclusions would they come to if they looked at the way that I handled my finances, the way that I spent my money, what would they say is my priority? Would they say his family for sure? His family is his priority. He has worked hard and he loves his family and he spends time with his kids. And is that what they would say? Would they say his career, making money and providing for his family, building wealth, that is his priority? Would they say his children are his priority? Or would they look at my life and say there's no question that Jesus is the absolute number one, the most important, it's first in rank, Jesus is the priority. Music team, will you please come? I had a bunch of scripture planned for this part, but we're going to not go there. Let's just look at one here really quick. Luke chapter 14, one of the craziest things, we read past this stuff like it's nothing. Luke 14, verse 25, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them. Okay, picture this large crowd following him. He just all of a sudden turns to him, and here's what he says. If anyone comes to me, and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. That should make you feel weird inside. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to hate your parents, hate your wife, hate your children. We don't have much time to talk about this, but quickly let me explain. Jesus must be the most important. Jesus must be the number one. He must be the priority. And Jesus is so far the number one in the lives of his followers that the second and the third priorities on the list aren't even in the same conversation. And Jesus is so far number one that the gap between number one and number two is so far that it almost just looks like you even hate this stuff over here in comparison to the way that you view and think about Jesus in your life. As Americans, that makes no sense. We don't get it. What in the world is he talking about? How does this make any sense? But for me, is, it's just, is, is God my priority? Is he the priority? Everything else in life, does that flow through him? Or is he just one of the priorities in my life? There's a difference in the way we talk about this. Stand with me all over this place. And here we are left with all sorts of tension and all sorts of weirdness and all the sorts of, I don't know what to do with any of that. But the reality is, and again, this brings us all the way back to week number one. We should, as American Christians, feel a tension in this. We we should feel some stuff on the inside that rises up at different moments in our lives that just says, something's not right here. Something's out of whack. When I read the scripture and I look at the culture I live in and I look at the way that I live, something's missing here. And it should be a struggle. It should be wrestling and tension. And what do I do with this, God? 
And in that tension, I believe we open ourselves up in humility to what God would have for us. We are never going to be perfect. We should not feel guilty. Some of us in this place are like, oh, God is not my priority. I stink. That's not what this is. I believe this is not the enemy pulling us down and saying you are an awful Christian and you are whatever. I believe that the Holy Spirit today is gently holding our hands and pulling us forward and just saying, let's figure some of this out together. God, sometimes we just run out of words and in this moment I just feel I feel like I don't know where to go with some of this. And I pray, God, that you would just fill hearts and minds with encouragement and reinforce some of the things that we know, God, that you are good, that you have our best in mind, that you love us, even though our understanding of happiness and how things should work is so far from the way that you think about things. God, I pray that we would begin to think of your kingdom in a different way, that we would begin to think of people around the world and around our country and in our spot here in central Minnesota who are so far from you, and I pray that that stuff would bother us. I pray that we would not just live complacent, apathetic, spiritual lives, but God, that we would strive for more. I pray that as the world pulls at us again and again, that we would fight that, that we would understand what that is, that we would see that and be ready, and that we would move in your direction as you help us. God, we are people who are hungry for your will and your plan and your purpose in this world. And God, we we may not honestly be able to sing, here I am, send me, I'll go anywhere. But God, my desire really is that my heart would be at that spot. And I pray that you would help pull me there. That you would challenge me and change me and work inside of me. And God, that that would play out in the way that I live and that you would be more of a priority in my life than you have been. So God, we worship you. We thank you. We need you. And God, I pray right now in this moment for someone in this place who has never truly responded to your message, the message of forgiveness and grace that only comes through this beautiful moment where we put our trust in you, Jesus, for what you have done. For someone in this room that has never done that, not talking about whether they've been baptized or confirmed or have gone to church, but this deep down thing in our hearts. And for someone in this place that they would know that they can even make that decision today, that they can just pray and just say, God, I give it to you. God, I worship you. God, I put my trust in you, Jesus, and what you have done. Forgive me of my sins and change my life and do all of that. And this can just be a moment. And so God, for whoever that is in this, in this room, let that moment be real and sincere and be the start of something transformational as they were lost, but now they are found. 
And so God, we love you and we need you and we give you all the glory, every part and every piece. We worship you together. We thank you, Lord, and it's in the wonderful, powerful, life-changing name of Jesus, we pray. And everybody said, 